Welcome to the College Scoops podcast. I'm your host, Moira McCullough, and today we are talking with John Hopalo about how families can plan accordingly to finance their son or daughter's undergraduate education. Two-thirds of all student loan defaults are for balances less than $10,000, and something like 40% of them are for balances of 5000 or less. So these are kids who just, like you said, they went to school, they found out it wasn't the right school, they didn't like going to school, so whatever it was, and they don't complete. This is the College Scoops Podcast, and I'm your host, Moira McCullough. We focus on everything college-related, from the admissions process to where to eat, stay, and explore on and around campuses. Our guests include founders, educators, authors, and experts in the college space. Join us as these experts share their knowledge, experiences, and lessons learned to help you have stress-free, informative, and tasty college journeys. Whether it's your first or last child going to college, or you're just interested in going to a college town for a game or meal, we've got you covered. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the College Scoops podcast to get the inside scoops on everything college-related, and leave us a review. Thanks to all of our sponsors, partners, and the entire College Scoops ambassador team for helping us bring valuable content to our community. If you would like to support College Scoops as a sponsor, please head over to Patreon at patreon.com slash college scoops and sign up as a sustaining listener, insider, or deluxe sponsor. We have exclusive benefits for our members, free ebooks, and even a College Scoops care package. John Hapalo is a nationally recognized expert in education, loan finance, and college planning. He's the co-author of Plan and Finance Your Family's College Dreams and regularly speaks on issues related to savings, planning, and paying for college at conferences, on television and radio, and in print. Prior to founding Invite Education, He worked on Wall Street and served as a senior executive vice president and chief financial officer of First Marblehead Corporation. John received his BA with honors from Boston University and an MBA in finance from New York University's Stern School of Business. So welcome to the College Scoops podcast, John. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're great to be with you. You and I connected through various different means. We found out we have some similar friends in common. You lived in Boston for a while, one of my favorite thoughts. As we go through this extremely not stressful period, as I have a (laughs) senior who is waiting to hear about colleges, as a parent third time around, you would think that I would be more educated on the financial aspects of college. And so the calls we've been getting from parents have been, yeah, it's great. My kid got in, but now what? How do I do it? How do I pay for it? So would you... Share a little bit about yourself. You were a parent. You've been there and done it. Plus, you're an expert in the finance industry. So you're going to share what I should have done, what I can do, <laughs> and all the other good stuff. Yeah, that, that, that's great. And, and you're right. Yeah, it was fun to, uh, to make all the connections. And you know, one of the things that, that's really sort of apparent is that sort of no matter who you are and where you are, you're equally confused. So my friends in Boston, my friends in New York, my friends in New Jersey, my friends who have blue collar jobs and my friends who are hedge fund managers all have like the same issues when it comes to thinking about how they're going to get their kids through the college process. And that's frankly why um, we started mycollegecorner.com and invite education. When I say we, I mean myself and Peter Mazareas, who helped start the 529 college savings business in the U.S. 
Turns out when I was an investment banker, he was a client of mine and he helped again start the savings business. He was running Mass Educational Financing Authority. So they're a big loan provider. And then he said to their business, well, you know, it's not just about loans. It should be about savings too. So in their charter, they were able to do savings. And so sort of blah, 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 long story. You know, we became, uh, we had a relationship where a sort of client banker became a friendship. And then in 2012, I, I said to Peter, I don't get this. Like I spent most of my life like helping other people try to find out about student loans and how to can make all these connections. And now my girls are going through the process and I'm looking at my wife and she's the expert. She does this day to day and she's like going to all the meetings and everything. But we kind of feel like deer in the headlights on this. And if I'm feeling that way, you know, I can only imagine like how it is. So sure enough, like I would go to the soccer fields or the cocktail parties and my friends, you know, started telling me about like the advice they were getting from their guy about college. And, you know, some of it I knew was just dead wrong. Like, well, no, you don't, you don't want to do that. And they're like, well, but my guy, and I was like, well, yeah, except that, you know, that's like a common myth. And then I started to realize at my background and what I'd done all over that period of time and working with Peter and others that, you know, there was a better way. So we started mycollegecorner.com and folks can go there. There are free webinars. We put articles up. There are a bunch of tools and stuff. But, but we wanted to like demystify that whole process. And um, the, the scary thing is we've been at it um, kind of going on nine years and we feel like we've made a little dent, but you know, like you said, there's a whole new cycle. Every time something comes up, it's a different kid, even the same family, but it's a different child with different needs and different desires and different goals and dreams. And so as a parent, we're kind of caught in this you know, sort of trap where you want to give your kids the best, but sometimes, you know, you just can't. And I think college is becoming one of those places where a lot of families, they wanted to, and then they find out, oh, 1.7 trillion co college debt, how did that happen? Because too many families reached to places they probably shouldn't have been reaching, and they might have made smarter decisions up front. So that's why I'm so excited to, to talk to, to you and College Scoops about this, because I think there is like an answer, you know, and there's a, there's a way to go about that. It's just going to take a little bit of time for people to, to understand what they need to think about. First off, I'm just so glad to know that I'm not alone. <laughs> <laughs> As you said, you think I'm educated. I went to college. I, I'm good at finance. And then why should it be so difficult? Why should knowing whether you can afford college or knowing what the cost of attendance is? You and I talked earlier when we said, okay, if you had a couple people around the room and you asked, what is the cost of X college or university? We probably all have different answers. And then when you think you know the answer, then you find some hidden costs that come into play. And those could really, for some, be a deal breaker, which is what you and Invite Education and my college corner. And I was on the website, I looked at some of your webinars and I'm like, I wish I had that about 10 years ago. But you know, when you talk about that in terms of yeah. cost of attendance, or we're going to go backwards, we should have done this and had a plan for college. But if you would start off with all these students and families are getting some of their acceptance letters. Now the question is, oh my gosh, what now? Right. Yeah. So I, I think the very first thing, um, you know, the sort of high level macro piece of advice is to be realistic. Like now this is not the time to dream anymore. Like there's an acceptance letter in hand, maybe two acceptance letters in hand. And then the, the, the fast forward is at a, one of those schools in this, in this choice set, you're going to get a bill. Right. And that bill is going to say, you have to send us this amount of cash by this day or your kid's not coming. Right. So that's the reality. And so it's time now to sit down and say, OK, what do we actually have? 
Like, and, and let's just start with the first student. We, we can talk about, like you said, you had three. I had two girls who went through school. So, you know, let, let's just start and sort of confine it to this group. Say, okay, this student, how do I choose what's best for this particular student? I'm going to assume that the schools that sent the acceptance letters were pretty well vetted. So you probably did like a campus visit. You figured out that academically this would be a good place to go. So that fit criteria is checked probably like went around and, and know something about the school. So you say emotionally, you know, and sort of socially, this will be a good fit. So everybody's pretty excited about that. Then the sort of, you know, the, 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 the deal breaker sometimes. So, okay. What about the affordability fit? Like how do we actually make this happen? Um, so the acceptance letter is great because I, I think of it, it's the end of like the emotional path, right? So this whole thing, and, and you said it before um, without saying the words, the, the reason that a lot of people who are really well-educated, who know how to do research, who can figure this stuff out, they get thrown for a loop because it's the emotional stuff. It's that, I, it's like you know, going to a car dealer and saying, gee, I really want to buy that Lamborghini. And if somebody made it like really affordable for me, I might be able to walk out of the showroom, but I, I can't afford to drive it. Right? That doesn't happen with college until after the experience has started and they're kind of down the road. So I think now this idea of, okay, two acceptance letters or three of them, they're good fits academically and socially. The next piece of the puzzle is the financial aid award letter. Unless of course you happen to be able to just write the check, you know, and you can, if you're in sort of that tail probability, you're one of the wealthy families and you don't care, you're done. But everybody else, the other sort of 99.9% of the people say, okay, what do I have to do? And it starts with the financial aid award letter. And the financial aid award letter, I did something for the Council of Economic Education a couple of weeks ago, and I showed a financial aid award letter, an actual one. And I said, these were teachers, uh, college counselor type teachers. I said, I want you to work with me through this and find the three lies on this financial aid award letter. And so what I identified as the lies were, when an award letter comes, there are awards there that will say scholarship or grant. That's actually real money because it's free. You don't have to pay it back. Usually there are no real strings attached. So that's good. That's real aid. Then right below that on this award letter, it showed $5,500 of student loans. Like, okay, you know, the government says I can call that aid, but it's really not aid because it's cash that you have to borrow from somebody. And then below that on the financial aid award letter, there was a $2,000 work study and it said eligibility. So this package was like $36,000. But when you peeled it all back, it was really only about $25,000 because there was work study and all the rest of this. So the first thing to do is understand when that acceptance comes, all right, you know, go celebrate. You got into school. It was really great. But wait for the other shoe to drop, which is the financial aid award letter, because that's really when the hard conversation starts. And you have to look at each one of those award letters and say, okay, which school is offering me the most free money, grants and scholarships? How much have I saved? Right. You know, and that's always a big thing. Now, not how much do I want to save anymore? How much do I think I can? How much do I actually have? And I know that school is going to be at least four years. Some students take five or six years. So, all right, over that four year period, how am I going to allocate that savings across based on all of this? So this is where it becomes sort of complicated fairly quickly because you have to make each one of these individual decisions. But it starts with understanding the financial aid award letter and what the actual real aid is compared to what the um, what, what the total award is. So, like to use like jargon, sticker price, right? Sticker prices 
like got a car, I can go to the college website and it tells me that it costs X tens of thousands of dollars to, for room, board, tuition, room, and fees. Okay, and then they're gonna have other things for, for um, total cost. So at least then I know what the sticker price is. Then you're gonna hear something at the net price. And the net price is really just that sticker price, so whatever I see publicly, less all the aid that was given, and then that becomes what the actual cost is to the family, right? That's the net price. But the net price, you know, again, includes loans and it includes maybe unmet need. So it might be that at the end of that award letter, I'm going to make these numbers up and I'm going to say it's a $50,000 school. I got $20,000 in total aid. That means my unmet need is $30,000. So after taking the federal student loans and something else, I still have to come up with $30,000 in cash. So that's the real nut. Okay, okay, how much is that? And that's just for tuition, room, board fees, all those costs, right? And we know as parents now with kids who've been through college, there are a lot of other things that come up. And it's, so it's not the total cost of school, but it gets you in the right ballpark. Absolutely. And I, I can, I'm going to take an example. When my son received, my oldest received his acceptance letters. And one was he received merit aid of 15000 And he said he was really struggling with that, with this one school. And I said, look at the cost of attendance for that school. It's actually 15000 more than the other school that you were accepted to. Sitting down even with a student who was struggling with a decision saying, I, I got some money and I want to make it easier and I want to be able to contribute. And I thought, but you need to compare apples to apples and right now you're not. So it's a great point making sure you understand the financial aid and breaking it out that way. That goes into like costly mistakes. We could have said, oh my gosh, take that acceptance and go there. And all of a sudden, year two or year three, you're in a position where you're thought, I've made a mistake. Yep, absolutely right. And you know, sometimes it's not even, it might be year two or year three, or it might be right after freshman year. Something like two thirds of all student loan defaults are for balances less than $10,000. And something like 40% of them are for balances of 5,000 or less. So these are kids who just, like you said, they went to school, they found out it wasn't the right school, they didn't like going to schools, so whatever it was, and they don't complete. And so when you hear about all these you know, horror stories and you read about them in the paper, it's mostly because they, they didn't complete. And these are lower balance loans. So if they had thought about that maybe on the way in, like how am I actually gonna do this? What, what's my, I, I thought there was um, a really terrific undersecretary of education who was at a conference that I was at and he said, I want to talk about student loans, but I'm going to start with completion rates. And he said, if we get focused on actually completion rates and taking in the right amount of debt for the completion and the outcome, we can get students to start thinking about just generally, what do they want to do when they get out? That will help them on their way in. So an art history major who might you know, love art, but is going to be destined to make thirty-five dollars or $40,000 a year, shouldn't be taking 50 or 60,000 in loans. There's a, a sort of thumbnail that says, if you're taking debt, total amount of debt while you're in college is less than your, what your projected starting salary is, that's actually an affordable debt. So if you're an electrical engineer and you're gonna make $90,000 and you have 75,000 in debt, that might not be so bad. But if you're an art history major with 40,000 and you have 75 in loans, that's a prescription for disaster and almost nearly, almost in every case, it's going to end badly, right? So you'd have to have an idea of like, what's going to happen on the back end of this? What's the outcome going to look like? And then I can start thinking about how much debt I can take on the inside. And that's something, as you absolutely said, is a conversation that has to happen between the parents and the students and 
it's a really hard one emotionally to have during these junior and senior years. Probably your advice too is having that conversation a lot earlier. I know when I said to my oldest when he was leaving, I said, you have three things to do before you come home for Thanksgiving break. I said, one, you know, you jump in, you get engaged and you're going to give it your all because we're giving it our all and sacrificing a lot to send you. Two, you're going to get a job. That's going to help you time management, organizational, but you're going to get some financial freedom with that in a sense as well. Oh, and you have to get engaged. You have to join a club or activity. College is all about, yes, as you said, academic, but it's social and financial fit, being healthy mentally and thriving from all other aspects of college life. So I said, you know, just don't get involved in the classroom, get involved outside of the classroom. And that also factors into your financial budget. Absolutely. You know, we talked about sort of like total costs and, you know, so we're, we're talking about not just books and transportation, but, you know, things like sorority fees or fraternity fees or, you know, just the one other thing that parents don't ever factor in really is that just like the cost to go visit your child, you know, in the good old days before COVID, you'd have like parents weekends, right? So you're going there and you're spending a few days potentially on a campus or you're, you're picking a student up or they're, you know, whatever it is, but there are a lot of, there are a lot of different fees and costs. But the offset to that sometimes, and this is one of the things where I talk about student loans should be the last resort, not the first option. They're in the, um, when the bill comes, there's often a payment plan possibility in there. So it says, you know what, if you're going to have, and you're going to have, particularly, I understand, I had two girls, so I don't know this, but I think boys eat a lot more than girls. And my friends who have boys who went to college said, boy, our food bill went down a lot, you know, and, and also there's like, there's more gas in my car. And I'm not like, I'm not like handed 20 bucks here and there to go do things. So you can have more disposable income when the kids leave the nest. So you can take that, even if it's $20 or 50 or $100 a month, and you can use these payment plans. So I can say, you know, over a course of 10 months, rather than take a loan for $1,000, I might use my current income for $100 a month for the next 10 months and use that to pay some of the tuition room board fees, right? So I just saved $1,000 on the loan, which means I probably saved total cost of $2,500 because of the interest and all the rest of it. So, you know, there are those little things that you can do along the way to try to, to reduce the amount of loans you're taking and, and just make a smarter economic decision. I listened to that in your webinar and it was one of those, a light bulb went off. Another thing, he didn't have a car at school. So all of a sudden we saved on car insurance. That went towards books. Right. I was asked the other day, somebody called me up and said, do I really have to pay the sticker price? And I thought, <laughs> I'm sending them to you. <laughs> <laughs> now they got in. What can we do? Is there any way to negotiate? Yeah, no, you're right. And, you know, and particularly if um, parents with athletes fall into this trap all the time, they say, oh, well, you know, Johnny's just the best. Like in, in our neighborhood, nobody can hit his fastball. And so they think he's going to get a scholarship and they kind of bank on that. And it just doesn't happen, right? It, it just really doesn't happen. Uh, but, but I think your point is, is like a really interesting one because this idea, again, of being realistic and saying, okay, what, what's actually going to go on here is, is really important. Um, and, and being, again, as unemotional as you possibly can be and be fact-based. Now, your point about renegotiation is, is actually a huge point right now, particularly in the COVID uh, world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this financial, the whole thing, need-based financial aid starts with a, f a free application for federal student aid. The FAFSA form comes out on October 1st every year. You got to use your taxes. You've been through this. Yeah, also for, for folks who don't know, you have to refile that every year for the next year in order to get that aid, right? So that's an important point. But there's a really key part of this, and that is the government asks you for your two prior tax years, right? So two years before. 
Well, a lot of people's economic situation was a lot different two years ago, particularly in some of the areas that have been hard hit by COVID. So the family's financial position today might be substantially worse than it was when those taxes were filed two years ago. If any of your listeners are in that situation and they, that comes back, they should immediately call a school and say, look, I need uh, to have another look at this, right? There's something called professional judgment. That's the fancy technical jargon, professional judgment that financial aid um, award awarders, I'm going to say the financial aid office, the school, they can look at that and say, oh, look, you know, unfortunately, this uh, student's father lost a job or the mother lost their job or they've been really impacted financially. So their economic position as it was two years ago is substantially different today. So that's a, um, they, they like to talk, call it an appeal more, not a, a negotiation. Like the, the schools don't like to negotiate. They like to appeal and they like fact-based appeals, right? So if you go in and say, look, you know, my spouse lost a job and now we don't have that income. And so we, we need more need-based aid there may actually be an opportunity to do that. So I, I think that's really very important for, for this cohort of students here. Um, and then cohort means those who are currently applying to get into college, but also students who are freshmen, sophomores, juniors in college looking for next year, you know, could be substantially different. You're absolutely right. And I think that's something that, to your point, people wouldn't know to ask. People would be afraid. They wouldn't know who to go to. Um, so that's the one thing. You, you appeal it. You go into the financial aid office of that particular school and have a discussion. We've heard a lot from families about that. We've also heard about, because a lot of schools went online and remote, there was a huge debate discussion as to, well, I'm not going to pay 82000 for University of Chicago if it's remote now. Um, right. Do you then have the discussion about going to a, a public university in a mm -hmm. public school or going closer to home. A lot of these kids want to go closer to home now, proximity. Right. To home. Is that some of the discussion as well that you kind of have? Yeah. So I think fundamentally that's right, but there's a really interesting sort of twist to that discussion. And that is that I think there's a myth that public school is cheaper than private school. And so I'll, I'll agree that most public schools have a sticker price that's less than the private schools. But I'll also argue that the private schools have a lot more money for financial aid, right? So they give more scholarships. So I did this. Someone said, I want to send my child to UMass because I can't afford to go to brand name school in Boston. And I said, well, get that financial aid award letter. Don't make that assumption that you can't afford to send your kid to the, public, to the private school. Because if the student like absolutely like in a sweet spot for what, what a school wants, they'll give you the merit aid. And, um, you know, my daughter um, went to school in the, in the cornfields of Indiana, great school. Um, she got merit aid, I think, because she was a girl from New England, right? And she's a great student. She did all the right things. But, you know, they, they like to fill out their class. And you don't know what, what the school needs. They might need an oboe player or they might need a kid from Massachusetts, a girl who's a hockey player. Who knows, who knows what they need? But um, just sort of thinking about that way, don't. That's what I mean about being realistic. And for students now, high schools and junior, uh, high school juniors and seniors, don't suppose that you know what the outcome is going to be because you have no way of knowing until you get that financial aid award letter. It could be that the private school is going to say, I need that kid and I'm going to give them, you know, twice the merit aid that they might have expected just because we want to make the school attractive financially for them. Um, so it's, it's really interesting um, question. But what you're saying, I think, is really right is that the COVID um, virus has really pushed in the forefront this idea that we've got to think a little bit more outside the box of what's right 
for financially, academically, and socially, and maybe being closer to home is the right thing to do and finding a school that will make it financially possible. And I think that, that's great. So keep your options open. Well, I think the conversation I'm seeing too is that the parents aren't starting it. It's the students are starting that conversation. Students are becoming more financially aware and astute and asking these questions, which is, I think, wonderful, is what you would probably say is the best thing that could happen because they own it. Absolutely right. It is the best thing that could happen. And I actually, this harkens back, I think, to the financial crisis in 2008 and 2009, because a lot of students, uh, or they were young then, right? But they were around and they were kind of astute and they saw their parents, you know, stressed financially, a lot of them. And I just know that um, my daughters, um, I think, have a much keener sense of, you know, being smart about using credit cards and, and what, their, what their actions all do to us sort of financially. Like, they don't want to put our retirement in danger. Like, I, I hear them say stuff like that. Maybe kids were saying that 20 years ago. I don't think so. Uh, but may, maybe they were. But um, I think this, this generation of kids are a lot more astute financially. And it's, it's through good work, frankly, like with College Scoops and others, where we're getting information now that wasn't available. So I, I take my hat off to you to raise these topics and, and try to help folks understand just what, what the issues are. They're smart enough. They'll figure out what the right answer is for their family, but they just need to know how to go about making that decision. And that's one of the things I, I love what you're doing as well, because these questions are out there. People have been afraid to ask. They haven't known who to ask. And I feel great every single day when College Scoops was out something and somebody says, oh my gosh, that helped me learn a little bit more about that fit. You're providing this incredible resource to parents who right now are really having the discussion with their kids. So we talked about what happens with the current students right now. Anything that you would recommend for what we sh- what I should have done, John? What should I have done? We talked about like 529s mm-hmm. um, and some of the savings. If you could provide tips for parents going through this for the first time. Yeah, that, that, that's great. And, and no matter, I, I say sort of no matter how old or young a, a kid is, it, it's a good time to start saving if you haven't or add to the saving. Or we trademarked a line that says saving a dollar today is better than borrowing one tomorrow. And again, you know, even with high school juniors and seniors, it's a four or five year program. If you can save $1,000 between now and then, it's probably, you know, $2,000 you didn't have to borrow. So yeah, the savings vehicles are tremendous now. There are 529 college savings programs across the country. I mean, go and find one in in the state uh, where you live there. Also, um, one of the myths is you have to use the 529 college savings for that particular state. That's not true uh, for the savings programs. There's something called prepaid programs, which has strings attached to the schools, but it's really apparent whether you have a savings program or a prepaid program. So if you have a 529 college savings account, um, you can use that money at any, virtually any uh, school across the country for what's known as qualified educational expenses and another sort of fancy jargon term. It basically means everything related to school, right? So books and fees and all the rest of it. Congress just changed the rules so that you can also use um, that money up to 10,000 of it to pay down student loans. So if there's money left in the account after a student graduates, you can use it to pay off some student loans. You can use it for apprenticeships now and you can use it for K to 12 expenses. Um, there's a little caveat in that each state has different tax treatments. So you want to go and, and look around and make sure that your state is offering benefits for each one of those. But again, the 529 programs are great. There's something like $360 billion saved in those programs. Like 12 million people have used the, those programs to save some of that. And I think it is, um, you know, the, what it, the, the sort of key, I think, for, for everything is start as early as you can, which means today. 
right? So no matter sort of where your kid is in the process, start today. It doesn't have to be like a 20-page strategic plan to get Sally into Harvard. It can just be, gee, I want Sally to go to school. What do I do? Well, the first thing you do is like get, become aware of like what the cost is now, right? And so at mycollegecorner.com, there's a college search. You can go and see what the school costs are. Um, there's also a financial aid calculator there. So you can actually put in, and I tell people with kids in high school, freshmen, put the numbers in right now and just get an idea what, you, what the government thinks your ballpark expected family contribution should be, right? Just know that number. And I think what you said before is, is the ultimately the most important thing. And that is, this is really scary for a lot of families. These are big numbers and, the, and it's emotional and you, you start to you know, feel like, oh, if only I saved more, if only I, it, it's too late for all that, right? So mm-hmm. the families that don't do well are the ones that, that say, I don't want to know about it. I'm going to put my head in the sand. And when you know, the award letter comes, then we'll just make a decision and it'll, it'll be okay. I think there's a better way to do that. And it says literally like today, you know, where are you today with each one of your kids and where you want to be? And don't think you have to save it all. Don't think you have to borrow it all. But think about like each one of those, how much can I save? How much scholarship money? We didn't talk about that. At mycollegecorner.com, there's a scholarship search engine there. Go and find some scholarship money. You can win prizes for kids, like even in elementary school, they can put through their college education. So all these, there's a lot of stuff out there, but Know what those, I call them the, the, you know, the arrows in the quiver, right? You can save, you can borrow, you can get scholarships, you can crowdfund now with 529s, you know, gift giving is a big deal. We're going to put a, an article up on mycollegecorner.com before the end of the week, basically like saving toward the, by the end of the year. And things like, you know, go and check and, and see, you know, do you have any of those like, you know, um, monthly charges that you're just not, they're, they're nuisance charges for $8 a month or whatever. Oh, but I'm not using that TV service anymore. Cancel that, you know, go in and sort of clean that stuff up. And like you said, you'll find some money that you can then reallocate to a savings program or, or to help with college costs. Well, I, and when you talked about scholarships, I remember my daughter started pulling up, you know, a website and I thought I was exhausted just even I didn't even know where to start with her. And within five, 10 minutes, we shut it down. Advice for the 2020 class of 2021. Yeah, I, I think it's where we start. It's about being realistic. And I, I think, you know, this, this class in particular is really resilient. You know, they're, they're dealing with stuff that we didn't have to deal with. And especially the high school seniors where, you know, it's unclear. Can I sign up for the SAT and then I show up and they have those test centers, you know, closed. Like they've dealt with a lot of stuff, Right. And the schools on the other side are trying to like make accommodations as best they can. And a lot of them are going test free now or test optional. And, and there's, so there's a lot going on there, but I, I think for the students today who are, are in, in this um, decision-making mode is like, you know, relish the fact that you put yourself in this position, you know, celebrate the fact that you're going to go to college, um, but be realistic about like what you're trying to do. And, and if you could give some thought about what you might want to do when you get out of school. And I, I always say, you know, you, you kind of know personally, am I more of an engineer or an artist? You know, am I an athlete or am I an artist? Where do I sort of fall on the spectrum? I don't have to know that I want to be a biochemical engineer, but maybe I know that I like science more than something else. So start to think about what that means and start to understand uh, the, the, the outcome is like really important. You, you're going to have a meandering path and that's part of the beauty of going to college. You know, you try some things. I started as a biochem major. I graduated as a political science major. I found out after like the second lab that I had zero aptitude for like chemistry. And even though I thought it was pretty cool, I just couldn't do it. So, 
you know, I, I suffered through that, but I got out of it and, you know, it was all good, but um, you know, like take those experiences and enjoy it as much as you can. But again, be realistic about sort of where you are and what you can do and, and what outcome you want for yourself. I like that. I also have been telling my kids that um, I, I did end up paying off my student loans and then I went to graduate school, but I went through an executive program where my company actually paid for me to go through the program. And at the time, my younger brother was in college going to Yale and the joke was like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I made money as I went through business school because I was in working for it. The company paid for it. My parents said, great, you finally learned how to enjoy college and make the best of it on your dime, not on, yeah. <laughs> on our dime. But those are the things too, in terms of you know looking forward and what can you do um, with some of the financial decisions that you or opportunities that you have once you graduate as well. I want to make very clear, my college corner, free, right? You have right. an opportunity for people to book an appointment with a financial advisor, but it's not thousands of dollars, is it? No, it's not. Um, we, we want to make this a, a service available. It's $95 for half an hour. And our view is that, you know, a lot of times people just want to affirm the way they're thinking about things and they don't want to spend thousands of dollars. So, um, we have a partner who is expert um, and has hundreds of families every year. And he said, gee, you know, you're right. If, uh, if your families come on and they're, they're looking at the webinars or whatever, they have questions or they want to like, sort of avail themselves to some professional counseling, we'll be glad to talk to them. Um, you know, uh, the, the reality is that a lot of families are, are just in need of a little bit of a nudge to get it in the right place, right? They, they kind of understand it. And sometimes, oh, I didn't think about a payment plan. Well, that's a, that's a pretty good savings idea right there. The, or like with scholarships, you know, when I talk to them, they'll tell you, go to the search engines like you do. But, you know, there are books that are also great. Right. The school counselors, the high school counselors, they know all the local scholarships. And like you said, the employers, right? That's another place. You know, I, I won a scholarship through my dad's employer uh, back in the day. And, you know, all that stuff, it, it's free money. It adds up and it's really terrific. And it, it's, it's not easy to get, but it's also not all that difficult to find. No, and the, the fact is, as you said, if you if you asked for it, you'd kick yourself if you thought, if only I'd asked for that three years ago or four years ago. It, it was that free money that was available that I just didn't have the courage or I didn't have the knowledge to know to ask. Right. So what do you wish you knew before attending college? Oh, what do I wish I knew? I, I, I really wish I knew that it was going to be a very quick, fast, and fun experience, and it was going to be life-altering from the perspective of you know, you really do set the stage for what's going to come. Maybe, you know, I didn't think I was going to like start a company or whatever, but I made a lot of friends there um, who were sort of entrepreneurial. I saw what they were doing and um, it was a lot less about sort of the academics. Like I said, I was a biochem major and then I graduated a political science degree, but that was just like the foundation for like being inquisitive. And, and that to me is like what the big reveal was at the end is it's really not about what you learn in college it's like what you you learn how to learn and how to use your network and all of that sort of develops over the course of you know your career and um, so I, I wish i'd realized that because i would have spent a lot more time networking and probably a less, lot less time uh, doing some other things but in any case um it, it was a great experience and it, it was i think the kind of thing where students look back on it and say it was good I want to make sure I take advantage of it the best I can. You and I had the same response. We are foodies here at College Scoops. <laughs> the other thing, in terms of about finding fit, there's also about a food fit. So <laughs> any campuses that you went on that with your daughters or in, in any of your travels that you would say, you have to go to this place if you're visiting this campus. 
Oh, that, that's really great. So my, my daughter's, um, it's cause you can't choose one or the over. So one of the other. So I'll tell you my favorite place in both campuses, my older daughter went to Washington Lee in, in Virginia and there's a donut place there called pure eats. And so every time we were there, we made sure we found some donuts. Um, and then sort of appropriate for college scoops. Um, at my younger daughter went to DePaul outside of Indianapolis and there's a, a really great ice cream place there called dairy born. So, um, we, we love uh, we love ice cream and we love the scoops of ice cream. So uh, ice cream in uh, in uh, New in, uh, DePaul and the donuts at Washington and Lee. Well, I love that because we had on the first uh, set of college tours we went on. I said, "Can we get a donut in each and every different state that we go to?" That was, and my kids had an intervention. They said, "We don't like donuts. Can we?" <laughs> And I'm like, oh, sure, sure. So we'll move to scoops. So, John, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know you're going to be back. You also wrote a book, Plan and Finance Your Family's College Dreams. We'll have that on the show notes as well. Yeah, more. we have the same passion. I'm really glad to have the opportunity to talk to you about all this today. And I'd love to come back, particularly to talk about loans. I, I think student loans actually is like one of the, it's, it can be actually very helpful to students. And when I tell parents that they look at me, but we, we can talk more about that. That's a whole different conversation. But I think the proper use of student loans when leveraged can be absolutely tremendous for students and for families. And not everybody has to borrow too much. Like excess borrowing does not have to happen. So um, I'd love to talk to you about that, but I enjoyed this conversation today. And thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much, John. Thank you, John, for joining us today to discuss how families can better prepare and plan to finance their kids' education. First and foremost, be realistic with your college list from a financial perspective. Once you get the acceptance letters in hand, take the emotion out of the college decision-making process and look at the numbers. Is this the right school for your son or daughter financially? Review the financial award letter to truly understand the various components of the award as loans and work-study are not free money. If there are significant financial changes in your family based on the pandemic, you can appeal for need-based aid. Start planning earlier rather than later for your kid's education. You can find all of our show notes and links to the helpful resources mentioned throughout our conversation on our website at collegescoops.com podcast. You can learn more about John and My College Corner on their website, mycollegecorner.com. It is a free platform and they have a host of webinars, a blog, and information to take the stress out of college planning from a financial perspective. Please take a couple of minutes to rate, review, and subscribe to College Scoops. Thank you for listening to our College Scoops podcast. Our entire College Scoops team strives to make the college journey a little bit easier, less stressful, fun, and tasty by sharing all the inside scoops we have curated along the way. We would love to hear from you about topics to cover and your ideas on everything college related. Reach out to us at collegescoops.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.